Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Brendan Bradley with the Fifth Wall Forum, committed to bringing together industry insiders from the theater and technology worlds to create opportunities for new kinds of virtual performance. And today I'm having a conversation with Jonathan David Martin, a performer, XR creator, and educator, and co-founder of Smoke and Mirrors Collaborative. Today's conversation is brought to you by the Fifth Wall Forum Discord channel, a robust community of hundreds of technologists and artists sharing job postings, tutorials, upcoming performances, and the home of Artifact Friday, where our mentors and collaborators share artifacts from their work, giving Fifth Wall Forum members a first glimpse at the latest in innovation and immersive storytelling. Find out more at our website at fifthwallforum.com. That's 5-T-H-W-A-L-L-F-O-R-U-M. Dot com. Now let's get to the conversation. Welcome, Jonathan. Hi. It's good to be here. It's good to be here with you. Yeah. I'm actually in your little studio. Yes. It's very exciting. Yeah. You're in my version of Willy Wonka's <laughs> This factory. is the toy factory? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. We make all sorts of strange confections here. I can tell that because there are actually what look like confections on the wall right now. There's yeah. like these hyper-colored, lovely, homemade, like, what are those like? They're not windmills. They're pinwheels. Pinwheels. Yes. Can, do you mind me asking? Giving some context. Yes. yes. I can even put on a top hat just to complete well, the look. Well, now right? I feel like, yes, <laughs> so we absolutely all of, need all to do All you listening it. can just imagine I'm wearing a top hat while I explain This just it. got so, fancy. Oh, yes. Uh, so this, uh, in the studio, there's one wall that has this uh, beautiful bit of art direction that was put up by Alex Angelis, who's... Uh, working with me on a project called Tangible Hope Project. It's a documentary web series that is about people in small cities and big towns across the country who are doing amazing things to make their communities better places to live. So I drove across the country, uh, took two weeks, and interviewed people along the way, cafes and nonprofits and bowling alleys, wherever I could get people to have a conversation with Did me. you just randomly go up to people in these places, or did you like set up these conversations? A bit of both. Okay. Uh, many of them were just kind of happenstance or you know, were connected day of. Um, the reason why there's a bunch of crazy art on the wall is because the next episode is about Austin, Texas. Okay. And uh, it's sort of our way of exploring the idea of what exactly makes Austin weird. And so we thought we'd get into the mood a little bit ourselves with... Um, and is that the, across the documentary series? You dress the space to kind of match your... No, not, not oh, Okay, so just, this this, is, just for Austin. Just for Austin, okay. yeah. Okay. So, but it is, it is, you know, it is a vlogumentary. So it is me on camera <laughs> okay. talking about uh, giving some context for the conversations that people are going to be engaged with and seeing and listening to as they find out a bit about Austin and about some amazing nonprofits that are there. And so that's kind of what each episode is about, looking at a different geographic area and learning about it through the lens of local community um, activists, organizers, volunteers. Cool. And yeah. that's distributed on like YouTube? Or and it's, it's Yeah, it's on YouTube. You can find it on our website, tangiblehope.org. Nice. And uh, yeah, so that was that was kind of the big project I launched over the pandemic. So wait, during the shutdown, you were like, I want to feature a bunch of places all over the country. Well, I had <laughs> I had I had actually done all of the principal photography. Oh, wow. So I'd done this whole trip. I'd shot it all. And then, you know, I had a few months where I was insanely busy and was like, OK, I've got to get to it. I've got to get to it. Mm-hmm. I've got to get to it. And then the world shut down. So it became much easier to, to, <laughs> to sit get in to the it. studio and to start creating this episode. So this is our sixth one out wow. of uh, out of ten. Wow. So we'll continue across the country, ending in ending in California. Congratulations! Yeah. It's so funny. I'm here to talk about all the other things you're busy doing, and then it's like, oh, by the way, I also have this documentary series that I'm yeah. completely editing, that I've shot, that I've done all the work for. 
It's so cool. Yeah. Congratulations. You were accepted into the Oculus Labs program. Yeah, Oculus Launchpad program. Yeah, Launchpad thank, program. Thank you. Um, and it is a, a laboratory. It is a, you know, an accelerator for uh, new works of, of VR. Um, it's a, a thrill and a total honor to be in there because uh, there is just a huge, amazing cohort of exciting uh, creators and makers and developers that are a part of it with me. So that's just an amazing opportunity to be able to get to meet and engage with so many incredible people. How does that work, that community base? Is it, you know, meetups on you know, video chat or is it, are there in-person meetups or is it all, you know, a Slack server or how do you, how yeah, do you all collaborate? I would say that in a way it's not totally different than fifth wall form okay. in the sense that the primary hub of communication is the discord server. Mm -hmm. And uh, the program is launched with a three-day boot camp. This year it happened all online. Nice. So it's a lot of um, you know, video conference events where we're getting to have conversations with each other, but also listen to great talks by people who are making things or uh, having, you know, thinking about different aspects of VR creation or mm -hmm. optimization for Quest, since, of course, it's <laughs> Oculus sure, is, sure. is invested in us making things for their platform, which is an exciting sense. challenge and opportunity. And it wraps up in February, where for all the creators who are interested can submit vertical slices as two to six minutes of a project uh, in February, and they'll pick up to 10 winners of a grant. And so it's, I think, as much as the opportunity for financial reward, having that deadline mm -hmm. and the accountability and all these other people making it with you and also support from the launch pad itself uh, in terms of getting feedback as we go through the process is so huge to just getting that stage where you make something. Right. You know, uh, so much of the challenge is just to create content, mm -hmm. to get something to that place where you can actually show it to people, get feedback, iterate on it. And so having these kinds of programs and, and things like Fifth Wall Forum are so, so invaluable. And so are you just there to work on your little slice? Or because you're part of this community now, are you able to jump in on other people's sandbox sessions to kind of help stress test or help prototype? Or maybe somebody wants your expertise um, for how user integration might be or how audience interaction might be. Yeah. So it... It's a little column A, a little column B. Cool. So the main focus is uh, you know, working on one project. In this case, I'm working with a, a small team of collaborators who are all, uh, at this point, uh, fellow Launchpad members. And mm -hmm. we're working on one project primarily. But there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to bring in other Launchpad people to stress test, to pick their brains about a specific aspect of, of building the project. And we're doing the same for other people. That's amazing. There is this weird... We're in this weird moment where there are grants and there are small opportunities, but it is still kind of an undefined capital I industry. No one really knows where it's going. What is it like to have so many plates spinning? I know I, I don't want to speak out of class, but you know I did a, an experience that you and Brandon Powers were putting together that was just aboard this like VR chat spaceship, and it, it was me then hanging out with you as like an AI for five, ten minutes in, in mm -hmm. a moment of kind of like connection to see what holding space and silence with an audience member might feel like. There's just such a plethora of these prototypes. Where do you kind of see it ping-ponging right now as we're trying to establish kind of what best practices for spinning up these projects are? Well, I think the, the first thing is making work, mm -hmm. uh, both you know for myself individually and helping to facilitate more work happening by other people in the space. I think that's how we'll start to learn 
more about the affordances of VR and AR and all the, you know, everything that happens underneath the XR umbrella. What's exciting about being in the space is that there aren't any rules of what it's supposed to be mm-hmm. or how it's supposed to be made. So there's so much opportunity there to figure out how you get in the room, virtual room, and make something and see what you learn and then be able to share that out with other creators. So the advantage of it being a you know lowercase i industry is that that's the primary conversation that's happening. And it's very horizontal and people are mostly creators and enthusiasts and want to be sharing best practices. And so that creates the unique opportunity and responsibility for people then to get in that space and to try things out and to experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's far less friction, I think, in XR to making things that are experimental in some shape or form. Right. Um, and people are really excited about about that in a way that feels different to me than in more um, established mediums. Now, I think it, it can be a tendency in XR to kind of presume some helplessness from the outside, right? Like if you wanted to get into a web series, you're like, oh, I've got to learn how to get a camera and, and film it or whatever. There, it seems like the barrier to entry is so large into figuring out, do I need to learn scripting? Do I need to learn 3D modeling? How do you approach a new project to truly experiment and kind of stress test something or throw some spaghetti at the wall? Well, actually, this this project that I did with Brandon Powers that we were referencing is a, is a great example. So both Brandon and I are, are creators, content creators, directors, performers. And um, so we're not going to go and, and spend a lot of time starting by developing something and coding something mm-hmm. or, or building something for 3D modeling. Um, but we want to create something. We want to be able to test the the narrative elements, as mm-hmm. you were saying, we want to test what it's like to create uh, a scenario given circumstance and create an intimate uh, connection with an audience member and have that sense of liveness in a, in a virtual space. Well, wonderfully, we have VR chat, <laughs> which, like many of the other social VR platforms, is a great place to test narrative ideas. There are a lot of these uh, amazing environments and worlds that have narrative elements to them that you can then set a story in or set some kind of narrative within. And so that's what we did. We said, well, let's give ourselves a very finite amount of time. Let's give ourselves, you know, I don't know, we give ourselves like two hours over two days, you know, something definitely less than 10 hours total to come up with a, you know, roughly 10 to 15 minute scripted piece with a solo performer for a solo audience member. And given those constraints and the fact that we're not going to spend any time building anything, mm-hmm. we're just really going to figure out what that interaction is like. How do we craft something that feels like it's got a satisfying beginning, middle and end and great. And then let's test it, see what we learn and then take that forward. And, uh, that became a really successful prototype for how quickly you could put something up to test in this case, something narrative. Sure. Now the scalability of that, how does one go about approaching somebody's world on VR chat and saying like, Hey, I want to play in your sandbox or can we borrow your backyard? Yeah. Um, I think with, with the test that we were doing since we weren't making it a public event right. and it was really just us testing it. Um, then there's not the onus of needing to, um, you know, check in with where, you know, with the maker of the world to say, Hey, can we use this for a piece? Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of, it's more of a casual, uh, exploration rather than uh rather than a a an event right. where we're make, we're wanting to make that public um but i think actually you know looking at the way that um ferryman collective and welcome to respite came about mm-hmm. i think that's a great example of where that team got together in part from having conversations with creators in vr chat who are making incredible worlds and saying hey 
um, we'd like to make a live performance piece. Can we collaborate with you to make something? Would that be of interest? And they're like, yes, that sounds fantastic. I would love to do that. And so that's where that team of uh, world builders and you know live performance content creators got together and then ended up making you know that piece. I love that. It, it really is speaking to similar to the, the culture you were describing at the launch pad. That is a lot of this kind of horizontal community from different disciplines and different backgrounds coming together to really just collaborate on the medium itself of really this curiosity of what can we do. You have a, a program at the University of Maryland that is kind of letting students similarly discover this collaborative culture and this curiosity around emerging technologies. Yeah, so I run a new program at the University of Maryland in their immersive media design program, and it's called the New Works Incubator. And so this is a summer program that we put together for students who are interested in making new works of immersive media. Cool. And uh, very much a a self-directed kind of program where I'm acting as a bit of a producer advisor for their projects and facilitating what their vision is and helping them to consider what their concept is and how to then design out and develop out and test their ideas from there. And that grew out of, in part, a class that I taught last spring that was around augmented reality design experiences. Hmm. And it was really a studio class where we're using augmented reality to teach collaboration skills. So we're bringing together students from across campus, but primarily from art and from computer science, Hmm. so creatives and coders, and getting them to figure out how they work together to make something they couldn't make on their own. That's cool. So it's something that is taking into account um, the technology of augmented reality Uh, but also the storytelling possibilities or the narrative possibilities and what you can then do when you've got those mixed teams and the importance of learning to speak each other's language Mm. and then how you can make something that's greater than the sum of its parts that way. And so several students ended up making really fantastic work in that class and we wanted to give them some opportunities to continue building that. At the University of Maryland in the fall, there's the Next Now Festival that's uh, produced by the Clarice Center for the Performing Arts. And so we partnered with them to have our student creators present their work as part of the festival. That's so cool. So we had this great scenario that helps anybody create a work, which is a specific deadline <laughs> and specific stakes. So the students know, okay, great. I've got a set amount of time to make something that then is going to be seen publicly. Right. And so that's great. And it was wonderful to watch the students rise to the occasion. Some students had ideas Uh, that they were bringing to the incubator. Other ones were starting from scratch. And they ended up making work that was really fantastic and unique and in its own way groundbreaking. What's fantastic about being in XR right now is that um, just about every piece is pushing the envelope in a new way on, on some dimension or other. So much of academia can feel almost insulated, right? Or kind of hidden from the, from the rest of the real scary world. But like you're saying, they are grappling with in real time the things that the entire world and industry is actually also grappling with. Is there that sense of excitement that they are kind of solving problems that aren't just confined to a classroom? Yeah, that's one of the big points of interest for them is that it's not just an academic exercise. They're not just doing it for a class grade um, and they're not following a, a model that has already been set out right. for them. Uh, they're really getting to dive in and go in a direction that they're excited to go in. It shows in the work. Uh, it's too hard to create things unless you're incredibly passionate and motivated about it, especially <laughs> yeah, right. over the summer. Right. Uh, During a shutdown. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it takes a lot of fortitude to do it. And I think because they have such ownership over the results, 
And you could see what an impact it made when other people came and, and tried out their experiences and how it allowed them to see their work through fresh eyes. Mm. And anybody who's ever created anything before and been able to share it and have somebody else be wowed in some way, shape or form by what you've made. Uh, it's intoxicating, it's right. exciting, and right. it makes you want to do more. Or even if they're confused, then seeing where your blind spots are. Absolutely. The things that made total sense in your head but did not translate. Precisely. And one of the things I was most pleased to see, we presented their work over several days. And after the first day where people were able to come in and try out their works, several of the creators were back in the lab. Oh, tinkering. Yeah, which was so exciting. So they really innately understood what I had been saying, which is this is always about something that's in progress. And you test and then you you rework and then Mm -hmm. you test again. And they really got that. And they were really excited to continue to work work on their piece. It wasn't like, okay, I presented it and so right. I'm done. They're like, oh, I presented it. And then, I, as you said, I learned new things. Things that I want to tinker with, things that I want to improve, or things that I want to experiment with. Do you see those projects, or even just the lessons learned from those projects, now continuing to translate into either their next semester or possibly if they're graduating, where they kind of start getting their first job we'll see you know it's been it's just been a week since, right. since yeah sorry, sorry. Uh, none of them have been running for the hills okay so good. good you didn't scare anyone the, the flip side to having the challenge of making something is that there, it can also lead to burnout sure right and so there's always that conversation of about sustainability and that you want it to be challenging whether it's for a student or for you know, a professional you want something to be challenging exciting in that way but not um take so much out of you that it, it leads to burnout. Do you integrate any of that into your curriculum? In the sense of, uh, and this is true whether I'm teaching XR or if I'm teaching people in a more traditional performing arts context when making new work, mm-hmm. is about getting the help that you need. Hmm. I think I, I say that because it's one of the things I have the, the hardest time doing sometimes. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, I can do this, I can do this, I can do that. But it really makes a big difference when you get the right team together and you get the right support and you're clear about what you want to make. If all those things line up, then I think that's what leads to the most successful collaborations, successful process, and then successful product. Taking that outside of a educational environment with the work you've been doing for Smoke and Mirrors Collective, which I believe began as more of a theater producing entity that has now moved into an XR creation entity. What are some of the lessons that you're finding in early collaborations or early clients and developments for maintaining that balance of that curiosity while also meeting deadlines and expectations while also making sure that you don't burn out and kind of over uh, stress your bandwidth. Yeah, so uh, just a little bit of context. Smoke and Mirrors Collaborative is a a company I started with a couple of uh, classmates of mine from NYU grad school back in 2011. Cool. And so it's now run by myself and Zoe Martinson, who's my uh, co-producing partner. And uh, yeah, as uh, we started off creating new works of theater, we wanted to make work that was speaking to contemporary social issues. And so a lot of our work is kind of documentary based or based in, you know, contemporary subjects. And uh, a lot of that's what ended up getting me into XR. Kept wanting to create works around our digital lives, our digital identities, our digital relationships, our digital spaces, and found that I needed a new vocabulary as a theater maker to do that. So I started collaborating with technologists. And that's kind of what led me to becoming more and more curious about virtual reality, augmented reality. And now, you know, that's where the work that I've been making has gone. So instead of trying to pull those mediums into theater, it's actually sometimes more pulling theater into XR. Sure. Um, 
I think a lot of the principles that apply to a good collaboration in theater and in creating new works of a theater, especially if it's something that uh, might be called devised theater or is being produced in an unconventional way, is that you need to have a lot of uh, attention to how you're going to do that. There's not a model that you can follow when you're starting something from scratch or you're not following a traditional producing model. Mm -hmm. And there are very few pieces in XR right now that have a model to follow. It is always helpful when you have a deadline. (laughs) It is always helpful when you clear about your expectations and responsibilities and scope of the project. And also that if you can start somehow small so that you can build, you know, a minimum viable product, you can start with just that core little kernel test it and see what you've got. That seems to be where things, in my experience, have been most successful, especially in XR. It's also where some of the biggest surprises can come in that you're like, okay, well, this should be simple. <laughs> That's where, that is the most dangerous sentence anyone ever utters. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then when you discover it's not simple, then unearthing why it's not simple right. can be quite illuminating, where it can be actually one small design choice actually that really affected it. I'll actually give a, an example, not from Smoke and Mirrors Collaborative, but actually from one of my student teams. So they were creating this really fantastic AR horror installation piece. And they had built an initial prototype in my class using plane detection. So as you would go around through a space, you would be using a tablet. And through the tablet, you'd be seeing digital content mm-hmm. augmenting in the space and creating some of these interesting on, horror on the different effects. planes. And so it'd be using the planes as, uh, to tell the system where to place those objects. Mm-hmm. But that can get a bit complicated <laughs> and requires just some more coding expertise in particular to do what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, I'd imagined this as an at-home experience. And so plane detection made sense because everybody's space is going to be different. Right. What they sort of belatedly realized was that that was really hanging them up from doing narratively what they wanted to do. And since they were now doing it as an installation piece and they could control the space, oh. it made sense for them to switch to using something simpler mm-hmm. to execute, which were image targets. Right. And once they made that fundamental switch, they realized what had kind of been hanging them up and they were able in a very short amount of time to totally rebuild and retool their piece to change that approach to the, the back end part of their mm. experience. Mm. I love that. Absolutely love that. You are one of these rare people that is able to straddle the kind of capital T theater and the capital X and capital R XR worlds. Um, whereas I, I think that sometimes virtual theater upsets somebody that it isn't really theater, but you've done some really remarkable performative works in these new systems. Um, specifically, I think of things like Pandora X. I'd, I'd love to hear about if there were any of those similar discoveries through those processes, that a live workshop, a rehearsal process revealed things within the system that then became parts of the show. Absolutely. Finding Pandorix is a great example of a piece evolving through iterations and happening really quickly. In fact, the whole show itself happened because of a pandemic pivot. So originally, uh, the piece that we were going to do, so this is with Double Eye Studios, um, Kira Benzing is the the director of the this, this studio, and we worked together on a piece called Love Seat uh, back in 2019 that we mm-hmm. took to the Venice International Film Festival. And so she approached me to do a, a new piece that was going to be around the Pandora myth. And originally it was going to be something we were going to workshop at La Mama. And I was going to be playing a virtual character um, and probably performing remotely as this virtual character that, that the audience would see on a screen in the space. And Pandora would be a character that they would primarily connect with on stage physically as a physically per- on stage. that's right okay and of course the so you were a puppet hit. basically on stage within a live uh, interacting with a live person that was stage. that was kind of the general direction that cool, was going cool 
pandemic hit. <laughs> now everybody's a puppet. So, so what that meant is that we then couldn't approach it that way. Right. So the initial workshop ended up being this kind of monologue that Zeus had in Mount Olympus um, of kind of calling and conjuring the Greek chorus to mm-hmm. then go on this you know, quest to get back the, the box of hope that Pandora has secreted away for all these years. And so this only became a totally a virtual piece that was located in, in VR chat on that social platform. That's where the world was built. The audience comes in as a Greek chorus and they engage with the gods. So the initial experiment with that was just like, great, let's write through some monologue and let's see what happens. Yeah. And that taught us a lot uh, about what was going to work best for a virtual audience versus a live audience or versus for a streaming audience. Since that first workshop, we both did it for people that were in headset. There were the Greek chorus members with me mm-hmm. in the virtual space, but also there was an audience that was watching it via stream. And so you can actually see a archived uh, run through the workshop, but there are times where you can see me, the performer, you know, performing in my living room right. as well as uh, the avatar that I'm I'm puppeting, um, but we realized quickly that it was probably going to be best to really focus on one audience group or the other, right. the streaming audience or the audience that's in headset in mm-hmm. VR. And so, Finding Pandora X really became how do we create a really unique experience that's fully embodied for those uh, audience members who are cast as the Greek chorus to mm-hmm. come on this adventure with us. And in those first workshops, we also learned that. Um, flying is a really fantastic technique, tool, element of a, of a VR piece that suits this character and this context really well. So let's figure out the ways that we can use that. Mm-hmm. And through those workshops, there was lots that I could learn about how to kind of control flight and use that and engage with an audience in unique ways as, as a result of it. Does anything within the system, whether it's just something the way VR chat renders or if it's flying, do you have any biological hangups? to the experience? Do you get nauseous? Do you get dizzy? Do you get uncomfortable when you're in this work? Not often. Cool. I find the more that I do it, the less that occurs. And now when it does occur, uh, it's sort of novel. Like, oh, well, <laughs> this is this is really spinning my stomach. Right. So I'm curious about them now. And the same actually happens when there's inevitably a technical hangup. Right. It's like, uh-oh, the world just glitched out on me. Mm-hmm. Or the audience member I'm talking to Clearly, it's having technical troubles or, you know, froze or something. So those all become things to be curious about and to lean into as opposed to, oh, no, uh oh, what are we going to do? Uh oh. Uh, And you sort of freeze up. Um, And I think part of that's through familiarity. And part of it's about embracing this idea that the failures are your friends, Hmm. which I think is useful in any creative context. But I've found especially useful in performing in and in creating works uh, that involve new technology that doesn't have all the bugs worked out, they're going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when and how. So great, okay, well, let's. how do we just embrace those? Find where there can be happy accidents that we can learn from. This is such a kind of a rare encounter, and it's so weird to be able to say this, but you and I have played the same VR character in a show. We were both in Welcome to Respite uh, when they scaled up for Venice. And I would just love to hear some of those happy accidents or moments that you had. I would just love to kind of hear about your experience on it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's so many. And I would have to say it feels like such a, a gift to get to do two pieces that are so different. It's in terms sure. of finding Pandora X is such an adventure and it's a big group <laughs> thing. And I'm literally playing a larger than life character. Right. right? I'm playing a god. Yeah. And then Welcome to Respite is so intimate. 
and so much about that personal connection you create mm -hmm. with the audience member that plays the primary protagonist of, of the child, Alex. A, there's something you, you learn every time you do a show with, with an audience because they're going to bring in something different and that's going to change the, the tone of it. But you know, one of the things that stick, stuck out to me about Welcome to Respite was actually that the developers were really aware about when they could add something to help us out as performers. Mm -hmm. So when we were doing uh, onboarding for audience members, there's a lot of different things you have to go through with VR chat, making sure your audio levels are correct and your safety levels are set perfectly. And, and we, the actors, are guiding the audience through this. Exactly. As a secondary character. Right. Can I hear what your Lego guy sounded like? Oh, my God. Really? Yes. I get, I get, I get to be here. Oh, my God. This is so exciting. Oh, oh. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So he, he was incredibly excited, mm -hmm. very enthusiastic, um, and maybe a little too squeaky. But Mine was but very squeaky. Lovable. Mine was much more shrilly but it's a Lego and squeaky. Guy. Yeah, it's a Lego guy. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was thoroughly delightful, A, to just play a Lego man. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's a thing on my bucket list I can now check <laughs> off. But my, my point being they, that the developers had created panels, visual panels, to help illustrate what we were trying to get them to yes. do. And it create for me, it created this fun opportunity like narrative opportunity as the character to say, okay, oh, I get, I get to do my one magic trick. I'm really excited to do this magic trick. Okay, one, two, three. And then I can trigger those panels to pop up. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's, it's about just technically getting through the onboarding. Sure. But there's a little bit of play that gets, gets to be there. And we get to take advantage of the fact that it does feel like magic when for them, all of a sudden, boop, there are these panels that just popped up out of nowhere. Absolutely. I love that. Was there anything for you that, that, that comes to mind? Um, I mean, more as you were describing all this, I, I think what I was realizing was for me to learn lines in headset is harder. Um, I can't access text on the fly, like when I'm learning something and getting it off the page that first couple of times before rehearsals or in early stumble throughs. That when I'm in headset, the claustrophobia takes over a little bit and I get a little tunnely and I, I can't access the part of my brain that I... I have the lines in kind of short-term memory. But when they transition into muscle memory, it's actually much faster for me to stand up a show. So I remember the team saying, we're so sorry there isn't a lot of rehearsal. But by the second rehearsal, I felt like I knew the show. Yeah, it makes me think of two things. One is I would hypothesize that part of the reason why it, it stuck in your brain that way, and I think it does for me as, as well, is in part because what we're really learning is about the scenario and the hmm. connections and the relationships really much more than the specific lines of dialogue. Um, you know, Welcome to Respite was really focused on that more than the specific lines. Um, I got a couple of line notes. You did, you, you, <laughs> I say, I say they didn't want you to say the words on the page, but, but, you know, by the necessity of the fact that one of the main characters you're acting with is going to come in and say whatever exactly. they're going to say as an audience member. Mm -hmm. There is a certain amount of what you really, really need to know is what the circumstance is and what this moment is about, uh, you know, deeper than just the lines. Mm -hmm. And I found for myself when I really understand and can embody that, what, again, whether it's on stage or whether it's in a headset, then the rest of it comes much quicker and mm. easier and I own it more mm. also in VR because we're triggering a lot of the effects and creating because we have more responsibility in right. a way I think that helps at least for me it helps me understand those nuts and bolts about character and relationship um, in a in a deeper way it feels much more like a touring show or community theater 
when you're actually like loading in the set from the van and like getting everything set up and you're kind of like helping other scenes with their props um, or their transitions because you're all acting more as that ensemble. Yeah, you're you're more than just a performer. You're also somebody who's who's creating effects that are happening in the world and transitioning things. And, you know, we're using one headphone that is connected to Discord so that we have that back channel to communicate. And so I think that additional responsibility, yeah, I think it helps you to own it in a way that might be more challenging if you're just coming in and your purview is much smaller to just perform, just do that character. When I describe what we're doing technically to do the show to other people, it seems to almost scare people away. How did you find learning to be able to have like a headphone in world and a headphone in discord and the triggers of the hands to be able to make your blend shapes on your face, do different things. How was that process for you? I know you bring such a, an enthusiasm and curiosity to everything, but was there a, a learning curve to that? Or oh, did... for sure. Okay. Um, I think it really helped me that I had the experience of performing in Warhorse mm-hmm. as a puppeteer and, and that, and um, I didn't have really any puppeteer training previous to working on that production. But that process of learning how to puppet those horses, uh, and in that case, to learn how to create a character with two other people as well, Mm. I developed an appetite for that kind of multitasking, where you're doing something very technically specific while still embodying and playing a character Mm. um, as if it was just your body. And VR to me, performing in VR feels very similar to puppeteering. In fact, it is, right? We've got these virtual puppets. They're avatars, Mm -hmm. and we puppet them. And so there's that fun juggling act of technically uh, manipulating the puppet through controllers and through body language and and gesture, and then giving it life through our voice and through the way that we use gesture and and breath. Um, And so I quite like how engaging and challenging that is on different dimensions yeah i i think that's just kind of how my it might just be a little bit about how my brain works right i'm i really like that kind of uh pat your head rub your tummy times <laughs> 10 sort of challenge uh-huh. and as you gain a fluency of it it becomes quite lovely it's what i imagine drummers must feel like when they've got a drum mm. kit right they're keeping time they're keeping rhythm they're doing it uh in different ways with the different parts of the of the instrument they're doing it while they listen to the rest of the ensemble and at a certain point they're you know, when they get any kind of fluency, they're not thinking about what their hands are doing. Their attention can be out and just listening. I love that. Uh, Part of the reason we do this podcast is to signal boost to kind of, if there's a tool or a collaborator or a resource you're looking for in this moment to kind of level up whatever you're working on. You know, if you're sitting here playing drums all by yourself, what, who's what is the bassist or the guitarist or the flautist that you're looking for right now? I'm, I'm looking for more people that are working with sound. Hmm. I'm really, really excited by the opportunities for spatial audio and spatial storytelling. I think, as in theater, it is something that is undervalued in, in XR in some places, not everywhere. But I, I would love to connect with more people who are sound designers and, and developers who, who are working at integrating sound into their works. Um, yeah, that's that's one part of it. People who are doing things with animation or, you know, 3D modeling. Uh, would love to know some more people in, in those ways. But, uh, you know, by and large, I'm, I'm always excited for new conversations. I, I love the fact that I've met so many people who wear many, many hats across the technology, arts, and other 
sectors and I've uh, always found those conversations fascinating and then the collaborations that end up happening whether they're directly with me or that I get to facilitate putting mm-hmm. two people together on a, a project because I think that they may have something uh, to contribute to each other's right. work that's fantastic as well speaking of connecting people how does someone connect with you yeah um, you know find me through my website jonathan-david-martin.com uh, twitter john david martin j-o-n-d-a-v-i-d-m-a-r-t-i-n um, linkedin those are probably the the best ways invites for virtual copies or otherwise <laughs> yeah well, great. Well, thank you so much for having the conversation with me today. Actually, it's a, it's a total pleasure. And we should say, this is the first time we've actually gotten to meet. It is true. IRL. It is. We had a Zoom call where we said we should have a taco, and we just had a taco and then did a podcast. So a very good It's been taco, quite a day. It's been it quite been, yes. a day. <laughs> Thanks so much to Jonathan David Martin for the conversation. If you want to join me on the show, find me online at the handle Brendan A. Bradley or go to fifthwallforum.com to find out more. I'm Brendan Bradley wishing you a happy Friday, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>